Welcome to the CLA's first ever podcast series, Rural Business Uncovered. In this series, we will review in detail the key issues facing landowners and rural businesses today. For example, you will hear about how rural tourism has found innovative ways to deal with the COVID crisis, farm diversification through the eyes of a CLA member and how they did it, what the future of food looks like, and much more. The Country Land and Business Association are the only organisation dedicated to protecting and defending the rights of landowners and rural businesses. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Rural Business Uncovered, brought to you by the CLA, where each week we discuss matters affecting the rural sector. Well, rural tourism has taken the brunt of the COVID-19 crisis, and the need now is to support the sector to enable it to recover post-COVID-19. And here to talk through the challenges and provide an insight into the future, we have Dr. Charles Trotman, Senior Rural Business Advisor at the CLA, Ros Pritchard, Director General of the British Holiday and Home Park Association, and Kurt Janssen, Director of the Tourism Alliance. Welcome all. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. Now, to start, could I ask you to give a brief introduction to yourselves, uh, starting with you, Charles? Uh, hello, I'm uh, Charles Trotman. I'm Senior Economist and Rural Business Advisor at the CLA. I've been at the CLA now since uh, 2002, and I'm responsible for all rural economic issues as affecting CLA members. Thank you very much, Charles. And over to you, Ros. Um, hello, yes, I'm Ros Pritchard, Director General of the British Holiday and Home Parks Association, which is the trade association for holiday parks, touring parks, campsites and residential parks, about 3,000 of them in membership. Um, and our job is to look after their interests, which have never been greater. Absolutely. No, now is a very important time for to doing that. And uh, finally, Kurt, over to you. I'm Kurt Jansen. I'm the director of the Tourism Alliance. Uh, the Tourism Alliance is an umbrella trade association in the tourism uh, sector. As you know, tourism is a very diverse uh, sector of the economy. So my job is to try and bring together about 60 different trade associations and membership bodies so that we can agree on positions and policy and lobby government with a clear, consistent view. Well, thank you for those introductions and thank you once again for, for joining us. And uh, we all realise that uh, tourism is one of the sectors of the UK economy that's most affected by the coronavirus outbreak. And if I can start with you, Charles, how challenging has it been for tourism business owners over the past few months? I think you've got a case that certainly the season will start around March, April. So March, April this year, that's when we went into lockdown on 23rd of March. Um and they didn't really reopen again until the beginning of July. So they've lost three months. And that, those three months are absolutely crucial to the economic viability of a business. And then when you bring in the fact that you've had um, certain capacity issues, you know, all businesses will have, all hospitality and tourism businesses would have had reduced capacity. What you're doing is you're strangling 
the actual cash flow and the ability of business to be viable and succeed in the future. I think one of the biggest problems that we've had is that we've had reams and reams of government guidance, most of it, I would have to say, on the whole good um, and effective, but it, it's also been challenging for those who've been advising tourism businesses because it seems every day government guidance changes. So that's that's a particular problem that businesses have faced is the issue of messaging, of effective messaging, um, but also getting the actual information right and getting the uh, communications right. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure, Ros, that's something you've come across in guiding your members through this challenging period. They're probably getting in touch with you on a regular basis, asking for, for advice and support and guidance. How difficult has it been uh, for you to provide them with that reassurance and clarity over what's happening? The clarity has been difficult simply because of the volume. But with the associations in crisis mode, um, we stopped all our usual work as the crisis hit. We were actually contacted by the Secretary of State for Wales before government closed down by law, asking us to close down our holiday and touring parks. So that was a crisis moment. But I have to say that we asked them to close and they were waiting to be asked because they did close. On Charles's point on reduced capacity, on reopening, we have 47% fewer touring and tenting pitches we have 12% fewer holiday letting units. This is across an industry. And in our bars and clubs on our rural parks, we have 35% fewer covers. That is just about COVID security measures, ensuring social distancing, um, which was another big area that we had to get the information out to the industry. I have to say that government was helpful. They put me on the visitor economy working group so that I could feed into what they were doing for wider industry. And each of the trade associations actually developed guidance for their own sector, which was all then pulled together by UK hospitality. So there was one master document. But we did a webinar and we had a webinar in the summer where we had over 1,700 registered delegates. And since we asked them to come with their household and these are family businesses, we had approaching 3,000 people in the room. And we went through that guidance but yes, I and my staff have been on the phones constantly since March. Anxiety is a great issue. And a lot of what we're doing is giving reassurance. And at the moment, the businesses are having to advise customers. So with the constant changing, the challenges, business challenges, but also psychological challenges on everybody. That said, relatively speaking, when they opened, there was pent up demand and they had a market. So that was great because they had business, but they went from mothballed to peak season overnight. And that created different challenges. So it's been an interesting year. It certainly has. It's been a year of extremes, isn't it? From mothballing to, to mass uh, bookings uh, over a, you know, in a matter of hours, probably. And Kurt, turning to you, how would you describe how the industry has been coping with COVID? Well, as the, the others have been saying, tourism has been one of the the sectors of the economy that's been worst impacted by COVID. Uh, we were the first ones to close down. We're the last uh, sector of the economy to open up. And in fact, there's parts of the tourism industry that are still not open at the moment. Uh, all the conferencing, exhibition events uh, sector is still closed. And then we've got parts of the tourism industry that are theoretically open, but really are not doing any business at all. Parts of it, such as the inbound, outbound tourism industry, that they you know, are operating at about 5-10% at the moment. So 
it's been a quite a bit of a struggle for for the industry and as you know mentioned came the the 4th of July it was almost like a grouse shooting season that uh, everything just starts up on the day and people are you know trying to to cope but what we're seeing at the moment is that kind of boom period that we got over July was August, September is now dropping away incredibly fast because of the new three-tier system, which has done a couple of things. One, it has interrupted tourism flows because tourism is about people going from one area to another. And if you've got different lockdown rules, that prevents people going. And the rapid changing of rules too has has hurt confidence in the sector. So people don't know if they booked a trip uh, to to some place you know tomorrow whether they'd be able to go there next week. So that puts people off going. So you can see kind of what's happened is that we've had this boom period over two three months and now it's falling away again and we're going into the winter season in a worse situation than we would normally be because all the types of things that you could normally do over winter you probably can't do this time around like uh, have have family get-togethers over the Christmas period, have celebratory events, uh, meet up with friends and family. You know, all that type of thing is on hold now. And I'm sure it's been really difficult, hasn't it, Charles, for, for business owners to grapple and understand all the different restrictions that are in place and not necessarily understanding those which are applicable to your area, to your region, but understanding what's happening elsewhere in the country because you've got visitors traveling the country not knowing whether they can or they can't, when they can, when they can't. It's really, really difficult for those business owners to know what's happening in their area, but also having a wider awareness of what's happening in other regions so they can guide their visitors? I think one of the problems that we're, we're seeing now, and admittedly it started, you could say, from the first lockdown when we had on the 23rd of March, is that there needs to be far greater communication between the devolved administrations. You've got the Welsh government doing one thing, you've got the English government doing something completely different. They're not matching up, they're not consistent. Now, if you've got a situation where that inconsistency leads to problems for the visitor and for the guest, then what, what's going to happen is it's going to knock that uh, consumer confidence. And what we've seen certainly over, over the last uh, certainly month or so, and Kurt has put his finger on this, is that consumer confidence is falling away dramatically. We thought we had a situation where we, we could actually seriously piggyback onto the actual increases in tourism and tourists actually staying in the UK rather than going abroad. Now, we had a point in by mid-September where things were clearly picking up. We're in a boom period. Then suddenly we had the significant change introduced with the rule of six and consumer confidence has simply plummeted. And it's that which we believe that the government has to get a grip of. Yeah. And what's your view on that, Ros? Do you think there should be more engagement with government and between governments? As a UK organisation, we've been engaging with four governments. And actually, I have never known civil servants work as hard or try as hard um, against the most incredibly difficult background. But of course, the tourism ministers are not the ones making the decisions. Um, cabinet offices for England, and they are balancing what, for example, the tourism minister is saying against what the Secretary of State for Health is saying against scientific advice. That is one of the reasons why we have different approaches. Um, but if you even just to compare England and Wales, there's almost a cultural approach. Wales has always had a culture of legislation. Um, in fact, they closed the parks in Wales twice. 
whereas England has had a less regulation, more advisory approach. I don't know which one's right, but I do know that that disparity creates enormous problems. I mean, the three-tier system in England is supposed to give us simplicity, um, much as perhaps it isn't the industry's job to be the policeman or to do the advising. It is in the business interest to give consumers confidence to join them. So therefore, advising somebody from tier three that they should not be traveling is going to keep the customers who are already on the park, say in tier one, more confident. So everybody in this crisis is having a role to play. And it's been fascinating to watch. Some leaders have stood up and really, really shone out in the way they've been helping. One thing we did, which has worked beautifully, is we set up Facebook groups so that industry members could talk to one another 24-7. And they do, and they give each other advice because there are different commercial decisions they have to make going along in addressing a changing regulatory and advisory position coming out of government. I don't know the answers, but there's a book in some of the questions we've learned over these last few months. And Kurt, how have you worked with your members through this challenging period, trying to give them confidence, trying to give them support where they they need it? What approach have you taken? Well, we've been sending out uh, daily bulletins to to all the members, uh, basically trying to collate all the the government announcements, new advice and rules and regulations, uh, put it into simple terms and cascade that out to businesses through the the member organisations. But it's a very, very difficult job because two things, you know, we've got all the the different home home nations making up individual rules. And as I said before, tourism is about people traveling between places. So we've got to take account of uh, basically four different governments, uh, rules and regulations. Um, And then collate that into something that's kind of clear, uh, straightforward and sensible and get it out to tourism businesses. And tourism businesses are very much SMEs and micro businesses. So they're very you know, small operations and you know they've got a lot on their plate just to, to survive anyway and trying to distill what we're sending them out to them and put that into practice is extremely difficult for them. So the whole thing about tourism is everyone has their own unique product that they're trying to sell. So if you get blanket rules and regulations, how they actually get implemented when uh, every tourism business is slightly different to every other tourism business. You end up with uh, a deluge of questions coming back and saying, you know, well, my, in my situation, my business is set up this way or we've got accommodation that's um, separated from each other and these are our communal areas. This is the type of food. This is the type of service we give. What do these rules mean to me? And a large amount of my time, and I'm sure Ross and Charles's time, is spent trying to answer all those queries about how very generic rules apply to very specific circumstances. And that's a really interesting point you make there, Kurt. And then if I turn to you, Charles, a lot of the business owners around tourism, rural tourism, are micro businesses. They're smaller family setups very often, and it can be very difficult to manage all aspects of the business and trying to get your head around the restrictions. No, I think that's right. And obviously, that's why they're members of, of trade associations, because normally, you know, outside of a pandemic situation, we'd have the time to actually pull everything together and give give our members that advice. I think it's a case of, especially in this situation, is trying to hold their hands and guide them through what is becoming a very complex process. It's a, it's a case of making sure that the membership 
whether they be at the CLA or BHHPA or uh, Trade Association under the Tourism Alliance, is making sure that the members actually have the information that they need. And what we're finding is, is that we can put in the process by pulling things together and actually getting that information out and getting the right communications out. But given these, the speed of how things are changing, we've had the changes you know, today with the job support scheme, the issues with tier, Tiers 2 and Tiers two, uh, tier 3. Um, as I said earlier, it's a very changing, evolving situation, which now I think we've got the experience and the knowledge to get a grip on this very, very quickly. But it's certainly very difficult to begin with. And you know, getting that message across to the membership is fundamental because that's what trade associations do. They are there to represent and protect their members' interests. Yeah, and certainly this current situation increases the important role that they play. And and there's no doubt we are we are in uncharted territory here. And we are it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen in the next matter of days, let alone weeks and months. But are there any um, historical challenges that we can learn from? Are there any parallels we can draw with the likes of the foot and mouth outbreak in two thousand and one, where large parts of the country, the entire country, was was uh, was closed down to to, to some extent, uh, and 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 a lot of tourism businesses suffered then. Are there things we can learn from past challenges? Well, if I could jump in on that, interestingly enough, the uh, foot and mouth out- outbreak is why the Tourism Alliance was formed in the first place, because people in government weren't getting the, the message that if you lock down rural areas from visitors, then their economy you know, will f- suffer as a consequence. And that message wasn't getting through to government. So we can learn that the rural economy isn't separate from the urban economy economy. You know, it's people from cities who go to rural areas and spend uh, 15 billion pounds a year and support in the order of about 300, 400,000 people's jobs in the, in the rural economy. So everything is interconnected. And I think that is the, the big lesson that we're trying to get across to government at the moment, that it's all right supporting particular businesses. And there's been a lot of support for, um, for, for restaurants and, and pubs um, and a lot of you know people concentrating on protecting them, which is only right. But you need people to be able to visit these areas and go to those pubs and, and restaurants. And if we don't provide support to other sectors of the tourism economy, such as, for example, the, the coach operators have fallen through the net. And if you don't have coach operators being able to take people to rural attractions, then the rural attractions suffer and the local pub suffers because the people who've gone to the attraction aren't going to the pub afterwards. So it's trying to get that message that there has to be a holistic response by government to the concerns of the tourism industry and concentrating on one sector or another is all right, but it doesn't solve the entire problem. Ros or Charles, did you want to come in on any of that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Kurt's really talking about the tourism ecosystem and the foot and mouth crisis, yes, was the first time really that tourism even touched on the government's agenda. I'm sad to say I'm old enough and I was there when we formed the Tourism Alliance, one of the last standing founder members. And we did so because... And this is an interesting thing to discuss in the CLA environment. The farmer's voice was getting through loud and clear and the tourism voice was lost. So tourism in the countryside was closed to protect the farmers, but actually the impact on jobs was therefore worst. The other parallel that we have with the foot and mouth crisis and then which we had with this pandemic was community reaction to tourists. Whereas in both the foot and mouth crisis and in this pandemic, 
local communities have wanted tourists to stay away. 2001 to protect the farmers, 2020 to protect the NHS and the influx of the virus from towns into the countryside. And there was a lot of concern back in May, June, that if we reopened tourism in the rural areas, there would be community unhappiness and we didn't know what would happen. And we used the foot and mouth as an example because exactly the same set of circumstances. But within a fortnight of the tourists returning, the community unrest actually settled back down again. And the thing that tourism's profile has definitely come up the political agenda this year, as it did in 2001. But people are also seeing in those rural communities that actually it's the tourism businesses, those tourists who are supporting the local services, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, which a small local community cannot sustain on their own. So I think on both crises, although um, this one rather puts um, foot and mouth in the shade, one silver lining is that people are starting to understand just how important the tourism economy is and in particular how important it is to rural and coastal areas. Uh, would you agree with that, Charles? Would you, would you say that tourism is now much higher on the political agenda? I, th- I think Ros is, is spot on. I think if you look at the figures, uh, agriculture only, only amounts to uh, less than 2% of uh, gross value added in England. Tourism is a lot more than that. It's significantly more than that. It's around 12, 15%. So it has to play a far, far bigger role within government itself. And I, I think foot and mouth disease was a classic example where the government didn't listen, but it hadn't, it essentially, because of uh, COVID 19, it's had no choice but to listen. Because if it hadn't, and if it had allowed these businesses to go under, then you wouldn't have a rural economy. And the rural economy is absolutely essential in providing a dynamic to the overall UK economy. And I think we've got to remember, we're not just talking about COVID-19 here. We're at a time when we're going to enter into significant trading changes because we're coming out of uh, the European Union. And that's going to have a dramatic impact uh, in addition to COVID-19. So we're getting into a situation come the 1st of January next year where we're going to have two negatives together to actually essentially do serious damage to the overall UK economy. And if it's going to do, if it's going to damage the overall UK economy, it's going to have significant effect on the rural economy. And this is why business resilience for the tourism sector is absolutely crucial. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
The Country Land and Business Association have been safeguarding the interests of landowners and rural businesses since 1907. We lobby government continually on behalf of our members to give them the security and certainty to invest in their land and business. Our in-house professional advisory team offers members independent and impartial advice on every aspect of land ownership and rural business management to ensure the positive development of the rural economy. Kurt, would you say that your members are equally concerned about COVID and Brexit? Is that going to be a big issue for them come come the beginning of next year? Yes, it definitely is. Um, obviously, it will affect some sectors of the industry more than others. But I think the problem we've got at the moment is that everyone's uh, focus has been on COVID, which obviously is the, the big issue of the moment. But because it's been changing and evolving and all the rules and regulations and guidance have been changing almost on a daily basis. That has drawn everyone's attention to to trying to deal with that and understand what's going on and, and advise everyone. In the background, Brexit has been getting nearer and nearer. And there's you know, real big concerns about what happens with that as well, especially when it comes to uh, the rural economy, because if you get international tourism to the UK when we're out of uh, the EU, coming into Heathrow or you know, Stansted, that type of thing, on a, you know, a package trip is going to be relatively easy. Where it becomes more complicated is if someone from Europe, say, wants to bring over their car and go for a, a driving holiday around the rural area. Now, if they want to do that, then there's issues related to insurance and driving license. If they want to put a caravan on on that, then there's more issues that they have to deal with. If they want to bring their dog with them and go for a rural holiday, that compounds the issues that they've got to deal with. And if they're bringing kind of granny in the, um, the caravan with the dog and she's got medical conditions, then there's, you know, real problems that they've got with with health insurance. So rural tourism stands to be impacted probably more than city breaks because of the complexity of people's travel arrangements when they come over from overseas into rural areas. And Ros, you know, we've talked a lot about the challenges, uh, the, the very real here and now challenges and the challenges uh, when, we, uh, when we face Brexit come the new year. But are there opportunities there for the sector? You know, is there is there a reason to be optimistic that there are things are going to improve and there are going to be new business opportunities in the future? There's always reason to be optimistic. Brexit is going to have an impact. But for example, we were very concerned about um, with when we had high unemployment pre-COVID, we were very concerned about the impact of Brexit on our ability to get the, the people and the skills we need into the business, because of course, Brexit means end of free movement, we won't have access or the same access to um, EU nationals. But with COVID, we had to come up with ways that kept people apart, um, one of which is that most people these days check in and pay online and receive an email with the receptionist's role and job is changing. So COVID is changing the employment requirements. And of course, it's also, and sadly, changing the employment level in this country. The other big one is that there is enormous pent-up demand for holidays. And if it is more difficult to go abroad because of Brexit, 
and it's and we're talking about consumer confidence it's more difficult to go abroad because you're worried about getting covid and getting trapped over there that is going to increase demand for holidays domestic holidays in this country and as we saw this year that demand is away from towns and therefore it's a demand in the rural space and in the coastal areas and i would have liked to have had a winter with we all would have liked to have a winter without a second wave if you looked at the visit britain figures in the summer Camping and caravanning was the most popular form of accommodation in July. That doesn't normally happen. Um, and it was coming around and it was going to be hotels and in towns in the, the winter. But of course, we've now got the second wave to see. So I'm trying to put a positive spin on it and look for the opportunity. If businesses can get through the winter, and that's an if, because these are seasonal businesses, they've got to have collected all their money to get them through to next spring. If they get through the winter and if their customers are allowed to return, we know that there is enormous pent up demand for holidays in the countryside. Um, and I don't think that's going to be short term because the consumer confidence thing about going abroad, um, COVID's hit it, Brexit's going to hit it. But we do know that people still want their holidays. So for business, it's about looking forwards. We know there is opportunity. We know there is a demand out there. Um, and being in the position to take advantage of that just as soon as the sun comes out. My real hope is that when the sun comes out, the virus, um, which doesn't like the sun, doesn't like the great outdoors, might let us start trading again, um, in which case we will survive. And that's, that's our job is to help our members to do just that. Yeah, Charles, would you agree with that? That's a real opportunity for the sector because if you think about the older people that haven't gone on, you know, uh, holidays abroad this year due to travel restrictions, and they've found possibly a newfound love uh, for the British countryside, could they decide in future they will um, support and and do more staycations, is the buzzword, and and look for holidays within the UK in the future? I think I think the trend for staycations is always a growing one. Um, over the past five five years, we've certainly seen an increase in the number of people. Um, holiday in in the UK. I think COVID has proved Ross's point that staycations are here to here to stay, and in the sense that they will grow. Um, I think the very fact that it, you know Brexit will make it difficult for people essentially to travel abroad um, and go on a holiday uh, will mean that they will stay uh, in the UK. I think what we need to we need to get into a situation, however, in that we have the infrastructure there and we have the capabilities there within uh, the rural economy and, and essentially within individual businesses to actually incentivize people to come and stay in uh, you know in the countryside to actually show them the benefits and the advantages of, of holidaying in England, Wales, Northern Ireland or Scotland. Are you seeing that as well, Kurt, a trend towards more staycations? Yeah, I would um, like to echo you know, Ross's comments in particular about um, Rural tourism is the, the brightest part of the tourism economy in the UK for, for two main reasons. One is that people want to get away from, from city environments into to open spaces. They feel safer in open spaces and that's what the, um, the rural economy, well, rural areas have in abundance. They also have people also wanting to be able to control their environment, to, to not share facilities with other people. And again, that's um, a real selling point for the rural economy because most of the accommodation in rural areas is camping, caravanning, self-catering cottages, places where people can actually control their environment and don't have to share or worry about other people. So you've got these two big pluses that are pulling people 
to take rural holidays, and I think they'll do incredibly well. But as Ros says, we've got to get through this winter first. And if government supplies the support that the businesses need to get through the winter, I've no doubt that they will will thrive in, in the future. So all this talk about we'll only protect viable jobs, you know, rural tourism jobs are the most viable jobs, and really those are the ones that um, ought to be protected. Yeah, and uh, as Ros, as as you said, there there's a big if around you know survival over the winter. But but what would happen if the COVID nineteen restrictions were to be extended post March next year? You know, how damaging would that be? Well, we've we've got the experience of this year, haven't we? Um, it's it's about time and money. If we're allowed to open and receive our customers, then. And that's what government will want us to do so long as it's safe, then that's fine. If we're not, then we'll have to hope and pray for the Chancellor giving us whatever it takes, as he promised, to get us through. Um, if only, only we could know how long this pandemic is likely to last, I expect the Chancellor would like to know because then he could plan what he's doing. Um, so it's about hanging in there. But the other thing that we do have, if you look at most rural tourism businesses, they tend to own their premises, which means the banks are more willing to lend to them to see them through than those businesses that rent or lease their premises. It's about, actually what it's about is we live for today and we don't look too far forwards because nobody knows. And if you'd asked me this time last year what I thought was going to happen in March, I couldn't have seen what was coming. And I suspect that next spring is going to be about as different as it was. It's, it's just a crazy time. We'll live for today. We know we have a market. We know there's pent up demand. It's about getting through today and tomorrow will look after itself. In that meantime, Charles, you know, what support measures do you think are needed for the sector now? What, 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 what things could government do just to try and safeguard businesses and reassure individuals that things are going to be okay? Well, I think the Chancellor's winter package actually produced the, the framework that, that that's actually needed. I think also the Treasury may need to consider uh, longer-term measures uh, well into 2021. That's uh, the case in Germany and that will be the case in France as well. I think we, we have to look at how other countries are performing in this respect. If you look at it from, a, from an economic point of view, we know that the UK government and the Treasury is spending now over £400 billion to essentially underpin the economy at some point you know it's a finite resource there won't be any more any more money left we can't see how um, the uh, chancellor is going to recommend you know uh, increases in income tax because that's politically unacceptable uh, for the conservative uh, party so i think the chancellor is going to look in the long term but the winter package itself although it's a good base it needs to be wider. I think it could be the case that we do look at look at sectors which are clearly in serious trouble. And you could say that about the hospitality sector in particular. Maybe the Chancellor should look at uh, the targeted approach in terms of, of those sectors. But the Chancellor's certainly got to do a little, you know, a bit more than what he's done so far in order to reassure people. Because we're not just talking about people going on holiday here. We're talking about businesses. We're talking about employment, people's jobs, you know, the uh, forecast, economic forecasters are suggesting that by Mar end of March 2021, we could be seeing three and a half million unemployed. Now, that is obviously a, has a major economic impact on the macro 
economy of the country, but it is also going to directly affect individual businesses and uh, the people themselves. Because if you if you haven't got a job, then you're highly unlikely to be able to afford to go on holiday. Again, it's a knock-on effect, and it comes back to Kurt's point earlier about the integrated nature of the tourism sector. One thing works with another, and it's important to actually get that message across to governments as strongly as we possibly can in order to be able to ensure that businesses come the new season uh, in March, April next year are still there, uh, are are still solvent and can actually move forward. And Kurt, from the Tourism Alliance's point of view, what measures are you calling for now to support the sector? Well, we've um, put to to government a three-stage recovery plan as an outline of the type of thing that the government should be doing. And basically, the first part of that is is reducing the costs that businesses face at the moment. So the usual kind of ones like business rates, employment costs, and commercial rental costs, those are kind of the big three. Uh, We need to do something about those, and those will help businesses get through. Then as a second part, we need to allow businesses to operate in a way that maximises their ability to generate revenue. And there's things that we can do there with leaving the EU. There's a an interesting um, change that we can make to the legislation called Package Travel Regulations, which would allow businesses in uh, rural areas to work together to develop value-added products that they could sell to people. You know, stay at my B&B and I'll give you a free round at a golf course or a meal down the local pub or tickets to the local historic house, that type of thing, which we know that that customers really want. They want, you know, added value deals. That's what lures them them in. And then we've got to look in the more long term about what we do to support domestic tourism as a whole. Because I think one thing that we've learned about ourselves with the COVID crisis is that governments taken domestic tourism for granted. It's just thought it'll happen no matter what. So we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to invest in it. We don't have to have any strategies or plans in place. And as a result of that, we we don't have a standalone tourist board. We don't have a reasonable budget for domestic tourism marketing. We don't even have um, a tourism plan or strategy for England at the moment, which is weird when you think that um, domestic tourism in England is worth about £100 billion a year. But there's no government strategy for it. So we've been taking taking it for granted for far too long. We need to get serious about this because it is such a large part of the economy. Absolutely. And uh, as we've flown through this conversation and as we draw this podcast to a close, uh, what I'd like to ask you all now is, is how do you see the prospect of tourism over the short, medium and long term? If I start with you, Charles, where do you see the future? I think in the short term, we have to get over the crisis. Uh, we had to put in the right measures so that businesses can actually uh, survive over the winter and into the next season. But if you look at the trends that we've seen in the past, um, 67% of CLA members have a diversified enterprise. The vast majority of those enterprises are in the tourism sector. So we actually don't see members actually stopping diversifying into tourism. I think it's it's clearly a sector where members are comfortable and they can they can make a margin. And given the fact that there will be major changes in agricultural policy from next year onwards, there's going to be a greater incentive for them to move within the tourism sector. So I think in terms of the longer term, I think the picture is still bright. I don't think there's there's any any doubt about that. 
but it's the case that the industry and government has got to work together and come back on Kurt's point about strategy. There has to be a clear strategic uh, plan put in place so that we can work together and the sector uh, can be brighter and uh, more resilient and profitable in the future. Thank you, Charles. And how about you, Roz? Short term, we've got to get through this winter and this pandemic. Medium term, the future is bright. There is demand. Our countryside is beautiful. Um, People want to go there. We've talked about COVID and we've talked about Brexit. The elephant in the room is the climate emergency. Long term, we need to sort energy strategy. We need our customers to be able to get to us. Um, We need, for example, transition to electric cars. That is a threat to rural tourism unless we have the ability to charge those cars when they get to us or they're not going to be coming. So we have enormous challenges ahead, but I have every faith that we will rise and meet those challenges um, and therefore there's a bright future for rural tourism. Thank you, Roz. And over to you, Kurt, for the final word. (laughs) Okay, Um, I'm in agreement with uh, Charles and Roz. You know, short term, we have severe challenges within the industry. Long term, it is incredibly bright because if you track the the evolution of economies, they go from agricultural economies through to industrial economies, through to IT economies. And the next step from that is actually a leisure economy. And tourism will do very well because that's the direction of travel. Well, thank you, each and every one of you, for participating in this podcast. And I'm reassured that despite the short-term challenges, the future is indeed looking bright. Thank you ever so much to Charles Trotman, to Ros Pritchard and Kurt Janssen for joining us on the CLA podcast. It's been brilliant having you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alid. Um, very, very useful podcast. Thank you, Alid. Good to talk. Thanks, Alid. Have a good day. If you're not a member of the CLA, you can join today. More information can be found on our website, www.cla.org.uk. Thank you for listening, and I hope you can join us again soon. You've been listening to the Rural Business Uncovered podcast, the CLA's new weekly podcast released every Friday. You can find all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or just search Rural Business Uncovered on your chosen podcast provider. Remember to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you don't miss an episode.